you know, there's all kinds of scenes that I respond to in movies. I respond to music sequences. Uh, I respond to big comedy sequences. It was like uh, they galvanized the, the entire theater. Everybody uh, woke up. Everybody got connected. And, you know, and I would go see a, a, a film that had a, a, a sequence like that. I would see it two or three times at the theaters just to see that sequence. And then just to have that experience uh, uh, with an audience. Welcome to Making Tarantino, the podcast. I'm your host, Philip Duke, and I'm here with his cousin, Chad. And on this podcast, we watch and discuss a list of movies that Quentin Tarantino recommends and see if they've influenced his work and see what they're all about. So uh, got some stuff. <gasps> stuff. William Friedkin passed away on Monday. He was 87. He gave us some great stuff, but also, weirdly enough, it ties in with our episode tonight because mm. Jason Miller is from The Exorcist. I need a young priest and an old priest. Yes. Yes. Um, that was uh, Ace Ventura said that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then uh, my bad if I said Rolling Thunder came out in 19... Wait. Rolling Thunder came out in 1977, but I think on the last show, I was like, oh, 1974, that's when Rolling Thunder came out. Linda Haynes, oh my God, she was in two movies. But no, I was wrong. Yeah. And Chip said, I think she's only done two things. And I said, how dare you, sir? She's been in 15 things. One of them was Coffee with Pam Greer. Oh, okay. and Rolling Thunder and this movie and some other things. So there you go. In your face. Oh, damn it. Subscribe to us. That's right. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. After subscribing, leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and maybe Facebook, but I don't. I check Facebook every once in a while, but more on Instagram and Twitter. More on Twitter, but yeah. All right. You ready to get on with the show? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I don't think I have a TV spot, so if I do, here it is. If I don't, there it wasn't. <laughs> Um, so, so basically what he's done there, people is he's like, he can be lazy if he wants and yeah, just yeah. be like, well, there, there wasn't no, some of these movies, <laughs> there's not many places to find the things. So like I found the trailer last week. I played that at the end of the show last week, this week, I, there was no other TV spot, radio spot, none of that. So I'm like, okay. And what they said, part of this was because. I think Robert Mulligan produced this also. And the producers are in charge of like getting the movie out to be seen. And if you're not doing that, you know, that's why a director should be the director and the producer to do that should be somebody else. And okay. so they said, that's why it didn't, but also I didn't put in the notes, but when it went to cans, it played against the conversation, which I mentioned mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. The conversation, Francis Ford Coppola's conversation, um, the last detail with Jack Nicholson, mm -hmm. um, and some it was up against some heavy hitters, and so oh, it wow. just kind of went under. And what a lot of people said, which you and I might agree, is a mm -hmm. lot of dialogue. It's good dialogue, but it's real fast, and you're like, wait, what did they say? Kind of mumbled. I don't. Da, da, da. And so they said a lot of people were like, even Linda Haynes was like, 
I kind of think he was into this, but I don't know. She was like her character. Like, what are you doing? I need to know. Like, she didn't mm-hmm. really know. Um, but when I started doing the research before I saw the movie, because I have to be careful. I don't want to do too much research. So I was like, what does nickel ride mean? So here's what I found out. And this is where I thought maybe the movie was going. Then I mm-hmm. found out, no, I was wrong. Nickel ride refers to the act of police officers throwing suspects into the back of a police transporter. The suspects are left without restraints and are thrown around due to the reckless driving of the police who intend to harm the suspect. So I was like, oh. So us, when we were children in the back of the big jalopies that our parents drove with no um, seatbelts. No. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. exactly. Yeah, sliding all around. So we had the nipple suits. ride. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so I was like, oh, is this what this movie's about? I said, I'm going to put that down because that's what Nickel Wright is. And then I'm like, oh, I was totally wrong, which mm. I'll get to in a minute. And Tarantino played this at his first QT Fest. So a lot of our movies that the list came from, the list that we have is from QT Fest, is from him talking on podcasts or on TV shows of like, oh, you should see this, even though he says, a solid movie is Back to the Future, but it's not on our list. But like that, and you know, anyway, The Nickel Ride, 1974. Here we go, Chip. The title, from what the director said, is anything you can't pay a nickel for. Although Bo Hopkins said that Mulligan said that it had to do with Cooper's memories of the carnival nostalgia for an old place that doesn't exist anymore which is more true to this character. It's more true to middle age, um, 50. It's the thing of you and I, I got a bunch of GI Joe classified figures behind me because recently, uh, let me do a tangent real quick for a second, just sidebar. I bought at Walmart, they have the mass device, um, like five episodes of GI Joe, a real American hero series. Yeah, cartoon. So I bought that and I was like, honey, you want to watch this? And she's like, "Eh." she goes, go ahead. I'm going to take a nap. You can play it while I sleep. Said, okay. Mm -hmm. I put it on. It's starting to play right away. I got, and the way you can do it, you can play it all the way through, like as one mini series, or you could play it in like, as like, it'll go from, from the end of the one to the beginning of with the commercial, you know, the music and then, but if you do it this other way, it just plays like one big long thing. So I was playing it. I'm listening to it. Duke gets captured. I've seen it a lot of times before. Duke gets captured. You know, he gets like teleported there. And then uh, uh, Destro and Cobra Commander there, blah, blah, blah. So I end up falling. I'm like, well, I'm going to take a nap because I was getting tired. So I reclined the seat, reclined my bed and went to bed. And I wake up and the thing's over and she switched it over to Walker, Texas Ranger. And so I'm like, oh, did you like the show making a joke? Did you like G.I. Joe? And she's like, yeah, it was fine. But why are those two bad guys always yelling at each other? And I go, oh, Destro and Cobra Commander. She's like, yeah, I go, because Destro like knows what he's doing. And Cobra Commander is kind of sometimes a bumbling idiot. And so they're (laughs) fighting for power. And she's like, oh, okay." So it's kind of funny. But anyway. So that's the nostalgia of me watching the beginning of a G.I. Joe cartoon of that theme music where mm-hmm. I'm like, it, I can't explain it. I can't, but I can imagine I'm at home after school watching G.I. Joe or before school watching Transformers, <coughs> whatever. So yeah. that's that nostalgia. 
Um, and there was a thing that they didn't really touch on, but they showed it on this making of that I watched was um, he's got those little trinkets on his desk. He has a little like uh, the Bo Hopkins kind of plays with. And it's mm -hmm. a uh, it's a carousel. And so mm -hmm. he buys all these little knickknacks of carnival stuff. Nice. And so kind of cool. The plot, a cut rate syndicate hitman jeopardizes himself. What? A cut rate syndicate hitman. He's not a hitman. Jeopardizes himself by controlling access to a warehouse being used to hide stolen goods. Although they do kind of, they're kind of afraid of him. Some guys, they kind of give him this respect that we'll get to later. But so maybe he was a hitman before, but I don't think so. See, he seems more of a businessman. Yeah. So starring Jason Miller as Cooper. Originally, George C. Scott was going to be in it but then dropped out and nobody remembers why on this making of they were like, they were like, they don't remember, but he had something to do like either another movie or something. And he dropped out. Oh, okay. And uh, so then it went to Jason Miller who was in his thirties and Roth didn't like that. The screenwriter was like, this should be a guy in his fifties. Like this is why I wrote it. Cause I was, you know, going through this thing. And oh. Mulligan said that everyone fears their own mortality which Roth also didn't agree with. He was like, no, not everybody. When you get older, you start fearing it more. Mm -hmm. And Roth also said that the movie might have done better if George C. Scott was in it. So Jason Miller, after this, he didn't star a main star in any other movies, you know, and then mm -hmm. he passed away in 2001. They said he was a heavy alcoholic and oh. all this. Um, but it's interesting because um, that that some reviewers have said he doesn't seem like he's in his he seems like he's in his fifties. He's got that ragged look of like mm. being beat down, being stressed out. I'm like, I do not want that job. He's stressed out every fucking minute of every fucking day. Linda Haynes is Sarah, who we know from Rolling Thunder, and like I said, coffee. Uh, Victor French is Patty. He's the bartender guy that you oh, know okay. that owns the restaurant. John Hillerman is Carl. Which is it was weird, though, that, that every time I saw him, the bar guy, I was thinking of uh, fuck ass. That's interesting. I was kind of thinking of him, but I was also thinking of somebody else like um, like maybe like a like a Christopher Lloyd or something kind of character, like because of the glasses, he just but yeah, because of the glasses, he seemed like the, you know, the guy from uh, Boondock Saints. Yeah. John Hillerman, like I said, is Carl, which was good to see him acting a different way. We've I've seen him in other things, but like I forgot that he's in Chinatown. And I'm like, oh, oh wow, cool. I haven't seen Chinatown. I know no. you should. No. Uh, I think it's on our list, but I'm not sure. Mm. Um, Bo Hopkins as Turner. So he was cool. I could when I'm watching this, I go, I could see Quentin becoming an actor because he wants to be a guy like this in a movie, yeah, yeah. like him being a character actor like when he went to James Best school when Quentin did James Best Roscoe P Coltrane James mm -hmm. Best was like character actor in these movies like a rolling thunder type you know things mm -hmm. like that um so i could see that bo hopkins cool he's in uh, wild bunch uh, which we'll get to on our list sometime uh richard evans as bobby so he was hillerman's driver okay and uh bart, bart, but yeah bart burns is elias 
um, which was which one was Elias? Damn it! Oh, the old man, the the guy that's trying to make the deal. I think it's Bart Burns. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so and then uh, Lou Frizzell as Polly. So Polly was the one that he's like, "Do you want me to talk to him?" Yes, yeah. please. Could you talk to him? He wants out. He's like done. And this is something else that I didn't get until watching the making of that boxer. The jogging is the guy that Polly wants to talk to. I kind of mm-hmm. got that when he's like, oh, you're Tortelli, whatever his name is. And um, and he talked, but he's a boxer and he wants him to throw a fight. And and that's why he's kind of tired of like, it's interesting how that now that I really think about it, talking about it, it's a story about middle age story about people being tired of what they're doing like maybe not maybe not cooper cooper's fine with like i'm doing my thing i got this big thing coming without that i got nothing holly is like i'm so tired of talking to these boxers and getting in almost fights where i gotta kind of threaten them or whatever like i don't want to do it i just want out and with the fighter even being like fine give me a smoke i'll stop being healthy i'll start smoking like but uh, something else that there was another thing. Bart Burns is the father of another guy named Burns who played mm-hmm. Cooper's brother in um, in the movie, but they cut it out. There was uh-huh. a scene of them having dinner together with his wife. And then there was a scene at the beach. And then there was some other scene. And after cans, they were like, let's cut this out. Let's cut all that out. They cut it all out. That guy takes his wife to go see the movie. I'm in this movie. I play like his brother and they're watching it. Where am I? I'm not in the fucking, what the fuck? So. Oh, that would piss me off so much. Exactly. <laughs> but Bart Burns was in it. So this is written by Eric Roth. He wrote mm-hmm. the screenplay. What was interesting when I first read this, when I first heard Eric Roth, I go, that sounds like that guy that I think wrote like Forrest Gump. I don't know. I go, I go, he wrote something. I go, he seems famous, but maybe not because this is 1974. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was wrong. He has written such films as Forrest Gump, which was adapted from a book, The Insider, mm-hmm. Munich, The Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons, and 2018's A Star is Born. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Uh, and so he had this anxiety dream mm-hmm. and he woke up and he wrote this, wrote this movie out. And What's interesting is, have you seen Uncut Gems? No. Uncut Gems is like, we don't know anxiety, but if you watch Uncut Gems, you'll get it. Uncut Gems is so like, you're like, oh my God, this guy is, he keeps gambling. Like he needs to stop gambling. He won't stop gambling. He gets in trouble. Like what the fuck? And it's that thing where this is that way in a way where it makes you, it gives you a little anxiety. And um, so they were saying where it might've been that, where this guy's kind of like a loser and that people can't follow a loser, you know, or whatever. But watching this movie made me realize, like you want these kind of films now, like you can't make these films anymore because you have to be either a big budget or it's going to come out on Peacock or on a streaming service. Yeah. Well, and with, was watching it it, for me it was just a it was it was weird because uh, the guy that's in it is the same guy exorcist guy Mm -hmm. and i'm sitting here going my big 
problem that I've had forever, and I've told you about it, uh-huh. is the way that horror movies were done back in the 70s. They were so fucking slow and boring for anything to happen. That's right. kind of how this whole situation with the anxiety of this guy and and his, you know, basically uh, well, thinking that everybody's out to get him kind of this situation. But it's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, kind of like a horror movie. You're like, when the fuck is shit going to happen? Right, right. But- <laughs> But to me, that was good. But I get what you're saying where, uh, what was I going to say? I lost it. Where it's a thing of, it's what people don't like. I remember when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood first came out mm-hmm. and everybody was like, oh, it's a bunch of fucking driving. I don't want to follow Brad Pitt driving from one house to the other in real time where it takes 40 minutes to get across town to where he lives. And what the fuck from the Hollywood Hills down there? And and where you could be like, this guy's just walking through L.A. Like, I don't need that. Like, come on. But my thing was and the director and cinematographer were like, let's just do L.A. Like the only sets were when they're in his apartment, they're in, you know, his office, like all those were sets. But everything else was. Was real done on location <laughs> and. um, And I can get why. Like, I, again, I'd like to read the original script because uh, just let me jump to this real quick and then we'll get to that thing that you said about kind of maybe being boring. <gasps> Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, quote, that was an original idea of mine. It was originally called 5050. It was supposed to be about a man who is turning 50, a film noir with intimations of morality. As a matter of fact, Quentin Tarantino has said it is one of the better American film noir movies. So that thing is, but if you were to cut that quicker, yeah, you wouldn't feel that anxiety of, you know, him running around him on the phone, like right away when he's on the phone, like right away at the beginning, I'm like, I'm like, holy, I, in my notes that we'll get to in a little bit, I'm like, this job is stressful. Like, Mm -hmm. he's like, when are you going to know? I'll know in a week. Motherfucker, I gave you a week. Give me another week. It's the the thing of not go ahead and i just thought about something right right now that i realized was that it would be a very different movie now because of cell phones yeah yeah because the answers could have been so quick of oh what do they say oh they say this oh they say no oh they say yes like yeah Yeah. all of that instead of like hey you need to go downstairs you need to go to the bar because there's somebody there waiting for you who is it yeah. How the fuck should I know? Oh, I'm not your messenger service. Go down there. I'm like, yeah. Going, yeah if the cell phone yeah. were in your fucking hand, yeah, it'd be that easy. Call text. the guy or text the guy. Yeah. yeah. The same you thing with do that movie now. <laughs> same thing with later when it gets to the uh, when it gets to the hotel, and then he's like, "Oh, well, I didn't show up. Well, why didn't you fucking leave me a message? Oh, I was in a rush. I just couldn't. Like, you know, yeah. it's all that stuff of you know. This was directed by Robert Mulligan. Mulligan almost directed Taxi Driver with Jeff Bridges (laughs) in the role for Travis Bickle, which would have been weird, but interesting. Like, I'd like to see how Jeff Bridges would have taken this. Yeah, because all I see in my head now is, are you talking to me, the dude? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) which was kind of improv by De Niro. So it would have been like something different. Would have been. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't even have been in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also Jason Miller was up for the role hmm. and he read the script and he was repulsed by the subject matter. 
And then his wife said that later he was like, uh, she was like, you should have taken the role. And I think it's because it would have maybe projected him like he's a good actor. He's good in this movie. He's good in The Exorcist. It's a thing of um, it propelling him. And then where would De Niro be? Would De Niro have taken that leap or would yeah. he have been in the next thing? And that would have shot him up. Well, yeah. and then the other question is, would uh, would uh, he have become such an alcoholic? Is it because right. of the misses oh, that he got that stacked true. up that he that his wife turns around and says, "You should have taken this, should have taken that," and then he's like, "No, I'm I'm nothing. I'm going to keep drinking." Well, and how did he become? Did he become? You know, it, is he the man for what his trials and tribulations went through, mm -hmm. or would he have been maybe better and been like, "Oh, I'm not going to drink because I'm doing better, and I'll mm -hmm. get help and I'll whatever." But yeah. also back in the seventies, it was like, oh, you, you get home, you have a drink. No big problem. Mm -hmm. um, also the cinematographer for this was Jordan Crennan with. So I don't know if you know cinematographers that much, but mm -hmm. he did cinematography for a little movie called Blade Runner, ah, nice. which now you're an artist. I was thinking of this and then I'll get to something else about his son. Um, you're an artist, so like Ridley Scott's an artist. He draws all his own storyboards, which is great that he can do that. Mm -hmm. And everybody can see what he means. Like, here's what I want. Now yeah. imagine you're doing that, but now you need it shot. You have to get the right guy to be like, is this what you were talking about? Like, that'd be really difficult for, you know. And But yeah, he was nominated. He didn't win, but he was nominated for Blade Runner. He then had a son named Jeff, who has done some amazing work, such as a lot of David Fincher movies. So huh. Gone Girl, uh, Social Network, like all those, which are lit really well. Yeah. Are you ready for some listener opinions? What do they say, Phil? What does he say? The one? All right. The one? Oh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Here it is. Man, I don't even have an opinion. Well, you got to have an opinion. Pedro Jimenez on Twitter wrote, quote, excellent and gritty film. Jason Miller was a very interesting guy, father of Jason Patrick. You might now remember an interview. I also mm -hmm. really liked the director. He directed a personal favorite, Blood Brothers with Richard Gere. So that's cool. And also um, Robert Mulligan's last film he did was that one with uh, Reese Witherspoon uh, in the Walking on the Moon or whatever. And something. Wow. Anyway, you've seen the cover. But so when I read this, I was like, oh, Chip was telling me about a Michael Rosenbaum interview with the Lost Boys guys, which was on mm. TV the other day. I guess on TV, they were playing all these vampire movies. So they played they played Lost Boys. Mm -hmm. And then I came back in the room after working on something. I came back in the room and now they're playing Howling 2. Your sister is a werewolf or a vampire. And there's vampires in that with Sybil Danning showing her boobs all the time. And then mm -hmm. after that, they played um, they played that one with Jim Carrey. Oh, uh, okay. I can't think of it. What was it? My Best Friend's a Vampire? I don't know. What like is that. that? No, Love It. Not Love It First Bite. Something like that. Dang it. Anyway. Um, so that would made me think like Chip will all of a sudden unlock something and be like, oh, yeah, he was. Because I think he was a stepfather for Jason Patrick because his wife had the kids and then he married her. And, you know, it was Jackie Gleason's daughter that was the one that was like, he really regretted not taking Taxi Driver. Or I think he would have been better. Well, and it was, I think he had already had to deal with stuff before. 
uh, but then being Jackie Gleason, uh, he said something about Jackie Gleason basically not caring. He had all the money and yeah. did not care about any of the family, did not help in any way, shape, or form. It was yeah. his money. Screw you all. I know your family, but whatever. It was, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was just like, oh, damn. Yeah, it's crazy. Somebody else did that recently that I heard about. Dang it. I forget it. Somebody famous. But anyway, we haven't heard for a while from our pseudo sponsor. So let's hear a little bit from our Grindhouse database uh, sponsor. Chip reads an ad for it. And here it is. Since 2007, Grindhouse Cinema Database has provided the online community with a fantastic one-stop resource for learning about the world of classic international exploitation and cult cinema. From the early days of 1930s and 40s cautionary films, and roadshow movies to 50s and 60s drive-in classics through to the 1970s and 80s Grindhouse Fair. The GCDB has it all. The site also makes searching for movies simple for users with the easy-to-navigate, state-of-the-art media wiki design. Whether you're a lifelong film aficionado or completely new to these kinds of movies, it's a great place to go to research and discover an exciting, unique part of 20th century cinema history, conveniently located online at www.grindhousedatabase.com. Grindhouse Cinema Database, where the action is. All right, so this movie starts out really cool, where I'm like, oh, cool. And then I found out this was a pickup shot where they went back later Mm-hmm. It was like, let's do a thing where so he had Eric Roth write a scene that would explain and he talked to mob guys. Mob guys are like, well, the way we do stuff is we trade trade things. So we'll get a thing of fruit, you know, a box of um, it's a word I'm looking for uh, groceries, uh, lettuce and things. It's a word produce. I'm looking produce. We'll get a truck of produce and then we'll mm-hmm. trade that for cigarettes or whatever. And um. So they did that. So they called that guy, that actor that's in there, that main guy that we know from, he was actually in RoboCop in the mm-hmm. beginning when Red is talking to him and they put all the guns on him. Yeah. Um, the uh, Red, you're like, he's got a name in RoboCop. He's not always Red. Uh, trust me, I don't care much for a 70s show, but okay. Yeah. Um, and so he showed up and then he called a friend of his who was an actor buddy and was like, hey, you want to be this mob guy that kind of assaults me? And he's like, okay. So he's like, I know how to act. So I know how to use my body for like, so I wasn't injured with him knocking me down. Yeah. And it's really cool where he's like the block, the block, who cares about the block? Like what the fuck? Like open up. And it's just interesting. Cause right away you're like, Oh, we're into, we're in mob shit. Okay. I love it. But yeah. like I've said to start this all out with in case, I don't know who does this. Cause I don't know. I only know some of our fans that I speak to on Twitter that -hmm. listen to the show. And we had a discussion with them and I warned you that this is a really bad transfer of this movie. Unless you bought it on DVD. When I watched this making of, they showed scenes from it and I'm like, Oh, those look really good because the guy (laughs) burned them from his DVD. And so I was like, Oh man, like, and he was saying, unfortunately they do talk so fast that you can't, and it doesn't have English subtitles. Mm-hmm. So you have to just try to pay attention. But he thinks that it's with more viewings, you get more out of it. So here's my thing with a bad transfer is that I start watching this and I'm like, oh, this is going to be rough for Chip. I'm like, I can force through it. 
I'll listen to, but also it's bad when you and I like the actors' faces. We like to see them react to something, and mm. it's just a blurry mess. One guy in the beginning at that club or whatever, when he's going to talk, I was like, "Is that the spirit? Is he wearing a thing over his face?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh no, it's just an old guy whose face is all blurred out that you can't yeah. even make out." And so it's really bad. And my thing with this is our rating at the end when we give our rating might have been half a point higher or more if we could see a better quality one. Same thing with, I don't remember what we rated. I'll have to look back on it, but what we rated the master's touch, this was a worse transfer than the master's touch was. Yeah. It was like, Ooh, man. Well, luckily the way that this movie went, because like I said, it's got that slow buildup and you're kind of like, what's going on? What's going to happen? And once it started getting to that point, I think I was looking past you know, right. the transfer. Yeah. I was actually kind of into the moment of the movie, but in the beginning, the transfer was affecting me enough to where I think, honestly, it, it messed with me to where I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Oh, me too. Because maybe I would have understood a little bit more about what they were saying as far as the block and stuff like that, because you honestly really don't understand what the fuck they're talking about until they show you what the block is. Yeah. I, I got the block, but now that I think about it, I think it was because I read, some little thing that was about how he's getting real he gets warehouses mm-hmm. and i was like oh okay like i get like and it was like that's a clever idea like you do that you're kind of working for the mob but you're kind of not just store your shit here i'll hold it like no problem yeah. and you get paid for it but then the thing was so i understood that but the thing of like that i didn't know till this making of was him talking to the boxer i remember keeping the name in my head Tomazi, whatever the guy's name was, something with a mm-hmm. T. Then he goes and talks to that guy. And then I'm like, is that the guy or is that just a guy he's talking to that he just happens to know? And I and you it's going so fast that you don't realize he's telling the guy to, to take a dive. I didn't even all I know. He's talking to him. He gives him a cigarette. The guy's like, no, and then takes a cigarette. And so then when I read this thing, I was like, oh, now it makes sense. OK. Well, it was but, also the verbiage. They, he wasn't yeah. saying like he didn't actually say the words take a dive. He was saying to sit, sit down. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he was saying was sit yeah. down every time. Yeah. That was and his that's version of it. And I was and like, I understood. Yeah. And as he's saying that the guy sits down and for you and I, now that you know a director and you know how the writer is, the director is going, you tell him to sit down. When you agree that you're going to take a dive, you sit down, literally sit down. That means, okay, I'll do it. And then you start smoking. And that's what that was. But when it's going so fast that you're kind of like, and that's why they said they think, um, people said it was accepted at Cannes really well. But in some interview or somewhere with, uh, with uh, Jason, um, what's the main guy's name? Um, where do it? Miller. Where he said it wasn't accepted very well. But I think also he might have been, up here with his expectations of thinking it'll hit real big and it yeah. didn't. And uh, also though, you come from the exorcist that has like word of mouth, like people yeah. are walking out sick, like all this stuff. And all of a sudden you're going to this two years later and you're like, this is my big, my big thing. This will be good. And then no. Yeah. Um. So yeah, stress for his position. I wrote that. That was my first thing. Like when he was on the phone with that guy, I'm like, this is fucking stressful. Like yeah. you got to, you're trying to run a crew, but they're all idiots. You got to, you know, how do you pick the right guy? You know, cause it's hard. And then 
when he meets with the bar owner who hates his job. And this was enlightenment to me where I tell the wife every once in a while, joking around where there's a video store. It's like a DVD store, superstar video on mm. down the road. It's a couple miles away and um, five miles away. Maybe I don't know. Anyway. And I go, honey, we should buy that. Why don't you buy that DVD place for me? Cause she makes a lot of money. Why don't you <laughs> buy that for me? And I'll work there and I'll just run the thing. Part of me goes for one that, I'll have pride in it. So I might stay there longer than I should. Mm -hmm. I'll hardly ever be home because I'll be talking to everybody about, oh, you should rent this. You should rent that. Whatever. Okay, I'm going to leave. I won't be able to find maybe the right help. So I'm working doubles, whatever. And then this thing that I wrote down. So even if you own a business, you could get tired of it where he's like, I want to go like somewhere. And he's like, what do you mean somewhere? Go on a fucking boat on a cruise. What do you mean? Like, I just I'm tired of this fucking place. But his character is cool and he's hanging up the picture of his mom. And he's like, if my mom knew that I fucking worked here, like this fucking place, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Um, but it made me like you and I have had those discussions recently of like, you know, I'd like to quit my job and stay home, but then because I'm kind of tired of it, but it does give me somewhere to go and I can listen to my podcast while I drive around and it's not that bad of a work. So mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you get tired of whether I left here or went somewhere else, whether I, you know, own my own business, I'd be like fucking tired of putting up these DVDs and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I went there recently. The guy had a stack of a bunch of DVDs and I was like, oh, my God, are those returns? It's a lot. He's like, no, people bring in their old DVDs because now they're doing digital or whatever. He goes, these are all donated. And there was hundreds of them. And I'm like, <laughs> like, where are you going to fucking put them? He's like, yeah, I know. It's crazy. Well, see, um, and I don't think I could go and do that if, to buy a place like that and do that because it, I would just have all these like flashbacks of being told to do that stuff for video update. <laughs> so, right. But when I was manager there, I enjoyed it. But also I enjoyed, and my thing is more, I enjoy, I mean, you do too, enjoy the customer service. So I enjoy like people come in, oh, what should I rent? Oh, do you like what kind of movie you like? You know, it's kind of like, not that I was a Tarantino, but like Tarantino said, that's what was fun. Somebody goes, you know, what's it like um, on that one for uh, that we did uh, hard hands on a hard body. Yeah. At the beginning of that, Jimmy Fallon says, what kind of movie, what's a favorite comedy that you would recommend to people? And he goes, everybody's different. If somebody likes stripes, then you lead them down that row. Okay, go this. Somebody likes Caddyshack. Yeah, maybe you get this. Maybe, you know, and you just, and that's what was good about it. And that would be me. Oh, did you see this movie? I like Kevin Costner. This postman didn't do very well, but maybe you want to get it. No, okay, that was good. So no. anyway, um, so I put, he has some respect. So that part where he goes, maybe you forgot who you're talking to, to that, to Hillerman's driver. So at first you don't know who he is, but he's fucking taking a nap in his chair, in his desk. Like, yeah, that'd, that'd upset me a bit. And he's like, leave the key. Like, I don't need you to have the key. What are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Then when he's like, hey, hey, Coop. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, it's fucking Mr. Cooper. Like, fucking get going. So the guy kind of understand. And that's the thing where I've told it before. When I was supervisor at my security job, me and a guy'd be bullshitting. We'd be, you know, having a good old time. But then I'd see that he's wearing the wrong jacket. And I'd step to the other side, go, okay, this is me now stepping into my supervisor role, telling yeah. you 
you can't wear the jacket. So take it off. And he's like, all right, all right, sorry. And he understood it wasn't, but dude, come on, you're my bet. He was like, all right, it was serious. Okay. Yeah. And it's that thing where you can't be too chummy with people because then you can't lay down the law, you know. And uh, and then I did put the part that you said where he said, what am I, your messenger service? I don't know. Go down. The guy's got a whole, you know, counter. He's got a whole uh, booth taken up. He's like, yeah. all right. And then he goes down. It's a fucking birthday party for him. But I like that guy. He's a cool character, that bartender. And so then they give him a clock on his birthday. So this is all about time. Like he's he's trying to beat the clock. And he's just, you know, it's just a pain, you know, it's painful to watch. And they said, that's why also people, it's almost that uncut. That's why I said uncut gems was like, I watched it once. It was good. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to rewatch it on HBO max or anything or max or whatever, because yeah. it's like, no, I'm good. You know, it's the same thing you and I said, like certain movies are really good, but are you going to buy them? Are you going to rewatch it? Like my thing, like I said, like I say it, almost every episode. I didn't say it last time. So I'll say it now. I want to almost physically own all the movies that we're doing. Yeah. But part of me goes, well, am I going to rewatch, you know, this movie? Maybe, you know, maybe yeah. I will watch again some of these movies, but not over and over, you know, maybe Rolling Thunder more, but Master's Touch in this one, maybe one more time. I don't know. Master's Touch had that fucking cool chase scene. Look at <laughs> anyway, but they get him the clock for his birthday and then later she gets him that watch for his birthday where she fixed the watch and gave it to him symbolism and it's the thing what is the symbology exactly <laughs> symbology um it's the other thing of uh where he said i went to a carnival and i got the watch for 27 dollars, whatever and you know he's talking about the fat lady got stuck in the mud and um and that guy selling him the lucky rabbit's foot did he end up getting the rabbit's foot um, but, uh, and then, so then he beats up the guy in the elevator. Now this is where I got confused mm. because, but now that I remember and I look at my notes, I see that I wrote time on his birthday. So that was when he got the clock, got the watch and Polly came and said, I want to talk to you. And he's like, do you yeah. want to drink? And Polly seems really nerved by something. Yeah. And you're like, what's going on? And he's like, go ahead, go on vacation. I'll handle everything. You're good to go. Yeah. And the way that's filmed and the way he walks away, I'm thinking, does he know that Polly's already fucked? Is he <laughs> just like, I told him that to put him at ease, but I know that he's going to get killed, you yeah. know, or what? And then well, I, I think the, I, I kind of felt the way he was talking to him was almost like it was kind of the best position of they're not worried about you. You're not of importance enough that they're going to yeah, kill yeah, you. You yeah. know, like you're, yeah, you're that's so what I was thinking. That yeah. You could skip the town and nobody's going to give a shit. Nobody's going to care. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the douchebag in the, in the uh, elevator starts saying, you know, yeah. Feeding around dead. the bush at first. Yeah. Dip, found him dead in his car. He's about your size. He's five, eight. And then it, yeah. Which, yeah, which then after I watched the making of it, I was like, oh, that's why. Like, all I wrote first was why beat up the guy in the elevator? But then watching this making of it, was like, because he killed Polly. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now it makes sense. For one, well, oh, also on his... He was goading also, him. He was fucking with him. He was basically like, oh, well, he's 
he's, he's he won't be sitting and he won't be like and he kept yeah. you know he won't be yeah. sitting down because he can't sit down and then yeah. he turned around and said because he's he's more laying like that because yeah. he's dead you know? yeah. and then all of a sudden he's like boom we just start fucking him up but also he was the asshole who was at the birthday party who smeared his fucking birthday cake yeah. And he's like, you want to make jokes, make jokes. But fucking what the fuck are you doing? Like, everybody's having a good time. You got to be this. Somebody put it this way. We haven't watched it for the show, but or wait. No, never mind. That was another movie that I did by myself on the other podcast that you didn't do. It's called The Killers. They were saying yeah. he's like an Elisha Cook of that character in that movie, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like a guy that you hate. That's like, you know, trying to doesn't like the main antagonist or the main antagonist doesn't like him. Oh yeah. So, uh, so then it's Bo Hopkins shows up and that's fucking tense. He's pulling the gun out and he's like, yeah, he wants me to go with you. And he's like, fucking take the gun outside. Do so. He's like, Oh no, I bought it for my brother. It's just, it's no big deal. And I put the stress level so high for Cooper, like Cooper's just like this guy talking a lot, which led us to a conversation before recording a podcast where I told Chip, I talk a lot. Chip said, no fucking shit. You asked me the question. What do you think of this guy, Bo Hopkins? And then I start talking and Chip's like, what the fuck? I'm going to answer you. So uh, anyway, so I said, I'll be better. What do you think of Bo Hopkins? Uh, I think when I first saw him, all I was thinking about was that he should be uh, driving that truck with the bandit. I know. I remember there was another movie that Burr Reynolds did. Um forget what it was, but he shows up to town and I'm like, oh, is that, is that uh, the guy that now you fucking made me forget that guy, the country singer. Yes. And I'm like, is that him? And I'm like, oh no, it's this guy. It was this guy, Bo Hop. Yeah. Um, but he was a great character actor always. He's in, like I said, the wild bunch and some other things, but it's just, and again, you couldn't, you could do this maybe in a new movie now, like you said, we're cutting out all the point, but this led you to like, he's following him mm-hmm. and Cooper's walking really fast and the guy's got to keep up. And I'm like, I've been in that situation where you're like, just leave me. Like, I want to just be over here. Like you go over there where he's finally like, why don't you go shopping, go do something like, and he's like, fine. And he does that little finger thing, like finger gun, like, phew, mm-hmm. like whatever. And so you're like, okay. So then he's like, then he talks to that guy again, says, are we making this deal on these 11 buildings, you know, for the block? Mm-hmm. And the guy says, I'm going to go and talk to the guys. I'm going to be staying at this hotel. And he's like, oh, good. I'm going to go on vacation with my girlfriend. We'll go up there and then I'll contact you and you'll let me, I will let you know. And you're thinking this guy, something about the way he said that he's not going to do that. And then he goes, then, so then they go, they go to the place. She's like, this is a nice place. He's all business. All he's thinking about is I got to close this deal. Cause he talked to Hillerman about need to do this. Hillerman's great in this, by the way, he's always right. great. Um, speaking of Hillerman on another side bar, mm-hmm. we're watching Walker, Texas Ranger. Cause my wife loves it. For some reason, she's like, why do I like these shows? I go, because they're wholesome and whatever, I guess, because they'll talk about God and Jesus and some kid has AIDS and he's loved by everybody. Uh, little uh, Haley Joel Osmond had AIDS in the show. Um, so and then they're like, oh, you're just like us. You can't anyway. Um, but on there was the guy who's 
Magnum and TC's friend, the guy that you said is in the new one, but he was like played another role. What's his name? What's his character name on the show? They get me on the spot. I see his face, um, but I'm just like, oh. I'm sorry. Anyway, that guy. So yeah, the basically the face man of yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was he was in Walker Texas Rain. I'm like, oh my god, hey, cool. Yeah. Um, and he fucking betrayed them, kind of like he does on there, was like in it for himself. Yeah. Um so they go to this thing, he's got his revolver. He now, yeah, before though, he goes up to his room, goes up to his office, and he's got the revolver hidden in his trench coat. And Bo Hopkins shows up, and Bo Hopkins is like, hey, and he's waiting for him to make a move. And Bo Hopkins does it. He's like, hey. And I'm thinking, and it's interesting for that character because you're like, is he just being a weird talkative guy who's going to learn my stuff, but also with anything of guys coming in to learn something, I could see the fear of like, Oh, you're going to, you're going to betray. You're just going to use this guy now and fucking kick me out. I'm going to teach this guy everything I know. And you're going to say, fuck off. Well, and, and it kind of felt like to, to me from the beginning, because he's trying to pull this deal off for the block that intentionally they weren't setting him to actually kill him. Like it was very much a, like there's, we have no reason. Right. Kill him now. Yeah. But it was kind of like a push him to the edge, make him think that you're going to do these things. Yeah. To make him do something that's going to warrant that he, you know, either, he no either, longer stays with the living. <laughs> either, either that, or it's like push him to do better to be on his game, because that's the other thing with it is where you're watching this and you're going. I'm talking myself into a higher rating. Where you're going, you're going. Oh, Bo Hopkins mm -hmm. is just that guy, but then he could be somebody evil. And same thing with the way Hillerman's talking to him. In ways, you're like, oh, fucking Hillerman is this bad boss guy but then hillerman's like go take a vacation have a good you know later when he comes back from the thing he's like calm down you're good and you believe it. and you're like oh my god this whole thing has been about how stress can make you fucking paranoid of everything and he does need to calm down and just be i'm cool and not be work all the time but also that's what makes you on edge if you're if you're on edge all the time because then you're better it well, and he was when he's following him around he said yeah i heard that you're man a few words you don't talk much and so you know kind of like my father and all that type of stuff right yeah i could and learn I'm something thinking, he okay. goes <laughs> yeah yeah but i'm sitting here going it seems almost like you they're probably they probably have a list a long list of hitmen that they could hire to do a job this is the type of person that manipulates you, plays with you. Play yeah, that's what it was that I thought about that I needed to remember. Plays with their food. It's like a snake fucking with a rat. Yeah. Before it actually eats it. Yeah. Kind of a thing. That's what I was feeling like he was doing, was stressing it the him the fuck out the same way that a rat knows I'm about to be eaten by the snake. Yeah. But the snake is just kind of going around it, keeping it in, in, in its coil before yeah. it finally goes, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and eat you. Yeah. And enjoying it. And it's the thing where I think about um, 
what this made me think of, I don't know if you ever saw it, the Brad Pitt movie, um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That movie makes you realize to be somebody that you want to excel, to be the best. So you want to be Jesse James, you want to rob banks, you want to be the most known cowboy, you know, fucking gunslinger, whatever mm. he was um, out there. But then the movie made it show like, it's really stressful always watching your back because this guy could want to kill you for the rant, for the reward, that guy, this guy. And the one guy that he thinks is the most innocent that won't hurt him is the guy that he's like, Oh, that picture's crooked. I'm going to fix it. And he fucking shoots him in the back. And part of you goes, I think the movie showed this where maybe he did that. Cause he knew I'm going to die anyway. I might as well get rid of, you know, get over with and do this. This guy will kill me. Yeah. Um, and then that guy got shit for the rest of his short lived life was, you know, oh, you're the guy that fucking killed Jesse James, shot him in the back, you motherfucker. So it's that thing of Cooper became great. And now Cooper's got to watch his back because somebody might want to try to take him out. The other thing that you said about Hitman is, yeah, we could get a Hitman who just walks in there in the middle of the night and shoots him dead. Or mm -hmm. we could get this guy who's kind of crazy and will do this thing of where you don't know what he's doing. And then, you know. Well, and the way that I saw it, though, was that Hillerman's character and everybody was like, you got you got all the people behind you. Everybody loves you. You're the key man. Everybody loves you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. if you have this guy when nobody else is around mm -hmm. pushing his buttons, manipulating him to do something that is out of the norm. Yeah. To where it gives them reason to go. Oh, he fucking lost it. We had to. We had to. We had to yeah. Yeah. His he ass was, out. Yeah. He was. Then the rest yeah. of people were like, oh, OK. Yeah, it could have been the individual you not telling the mob, I'm going to kill Philip. And then you make me paranoid. And then when I go to somebody else is like, you know, or whatever, then you can just be like, oh, he was fucking talking crazy. We had to get rid of him. And it's like, OK, not knowing that you caused all that for me to go. crazy. Exactly. Um, but it's the other thing of when he so then he goes to the goes to the the farmhouse. And he's staying there and his wife and his girlfriend is like, oh, what? and did you notice he calls her Georgia, but her name's Sarah? I think he calls her Georgia because because um, she's from Georgia, because she's normally from Sweden. But the director was like, can you do some kind of southern thing? So that's when she's like, I could tell you break it like she had a hard time doing that. Yeah. Um, so so then he takes the revolver, puts it in the drawer, closes it. And I'm like, OK. I'm like, cool. He's all set. You got everything. And then all of a sudden they go off to go rowboating and they come back and there's footsteps in the dirt or whatever of the floor. Mm. And I'm like, I'm like, those look like cowboy boots. What the fuck? Holy shit. And then he checks the entire house goes through there. Oh, he goes to get the gun to check the house. And when he goes to open the drawer, there's no gun. And mm. I said out loud to my TV. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so then he searches the whole house and he comes back and he goes maybe it's some homeless guy i don't know so he's trying to be like maybe it's not this guy but then the and he's, and he's also trying to calm her down yeah yeah so then but, he's just like oh honey it's probably just somebody homeless that came but in then there. the coincidence of that guy showing up the next day and him putting two and together and being like no this wasn't this was fucking you and every time he says that it's fucking you and you're fucking with me, he's like, oh, the, the, the thoughts you have, yeah. the things you think. 
Yeah. He doesn't say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just basically makes fun of yeah. him saying it that you're just you're going a little crazy. Yeah, he is so fuck. Oh, he's so good. Um, Bo Hopkins. Um, oh, they both are. Uh, the guy. So then he goes to the hotel. He's like, I got to go do something. She's like, What are you doing? He's like, None of your business. He goes, I'm gonna go get some locks. He fixes the locks on the door, and gets a shotgun, and he goes to the hotel to say, Hey, have you? Is this guy here? No, no, he should be. Martha, have you seen him? No, there's nobody like that. Are you sure you haven't? No, he's not here. And he's like, motherfucker. He's like, all right. So then he goes to the phone to make a call. The guy isn't there. So did you notice something little that he put his hand up on the window? I'm thinking that's because by the time they filmed, the sun was coming right on his face. Oh, yeah. And he was like, I have to put my hand up here to block my face. Um, That... So I put here the guy he was to make make the deal with fucked him like I'm like this guy fucked him like but it's like how like and again like you know from when he raises his voice to that guy in his house you know that the guy's not a strong guy he has to be a uh, what do you call it passive aggressive he has to be well I'm just not going to show up that'll show him you know and and already he's told Hillerman like we're going to make this deal and Hillerman's like okay good like yeah they'll go 10 you know, let's see if they can do 10. That'll be good. And so then he gets home, he gets back and he's got the shotgun. He's on the couch, closes his eyes for a second. And Bo Hopkins at the door and he's and Bo Hopkins got a gun. And he's like, he's like, what the fuck? And he does. He shoot at Bo Hopkins. Bo Hopkins runs out. He goes chasing him. He yeah, gets him. Yeah, because he pulls gun out the out gun and scares him and he starts running and yeah. he just starts running after him. Yeah. And he doesn't really do much but chase him to kind of and talk he, and yelling he, at him. Kind well, of he, he knocked Bo Hopkins' gun away first because then he's got the gun on him. And Bo yeah. Hopkins is like, what do you want me to say? Like, please don't kill me. Don't kill me. And that was on the trailer. So I knew something like this was coming of him. Like, don't kill me. The way they yeah. did on the trailer was good because he was going, please don't kill me, Cooper in the thing he's like what do you want me to say please don't kill me please please oh you want me on my knees is that what you want and you're like oh the holy shit is he gonna kill him and you're waiting and he looks to see sarah and he's like he's like sarah no don't go you know go away and right then bo hopkins grabs a gun from him and you're like oh shit and then he shoots her and i'm like whoa that's when my wife came home i'm like i didn't see that coming holy shit she's dead and he runs over to her and he's picking her up and he's kind of like trying to yell her back into existence like she's floating out of her body he's yelling into her ear like come back sir. and then all of a sudden he wakes up in the couch still like so fucking good is mm -hmm. like i've never you've seen it before where somebody's gone to take a nap mm -hmm. they're laying in a bed and then they have a dream and then it goes back to them waking up in the bed and you're like okay i knew that was a dream because the way it was done this was done just like the movie was done. It wasn't done with a dream filter, wasn't done with anything. And it made you go, oh, shit, shit just got dark. And then he wakes up and I'm like, oh, shit, it was a dream. And something that I learned from this making of Martin Scorsese's a fan of this movie and mm. said that that left an impression on him when he watched it. Like he was right. like, holy shit. Like you're like, awesome. Well, and for me. I, I at this point in the movie. Mm -hmm. I figured that the guy that he's making the deal with that said, hey, we're going to meet 
meet out here. We're gonna a bunch of us are going out there. You have your cabin, and he mentions his cabin, and yeah. you, you have your place. Oh yeah, yeah. Like he's setting him up to go out there by himself, right. so that he could be killed. Yeah, that he's yeah. helping Hillerman do this, and yeah. so I'm sitting here going, okay. But at this point, I'm sitting here wondering, okay, the cowboy is fucking with him, making him go a little crazy. So, so, so did you? So you didn't think maybe, maybe not like I did, like I was going both ways. I was thinking he's a bad guy, but I was thinking maybe he is well, was, just a weird guy. Well, I was thinking that he was going to do something, but at this, but before she gets shot, I was honestly thinking that maybe she was the inside man, that she was going to be oh, the one to kill him. Interesting. Yeah. And so when she gets shot, I'm like, oh, fuck, well, I guess it's not her. But then he wakes up and I go, oh, well, maybe it is. Like, it was like teasing me going, motherfucker, yeah. is it her or not? You know, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. So yeah. it was kind of cool in that way. But yeah. That's cool. And then, so then he goes to that guy's house. He's like, what the fuck? It's the middle of the night. The guy's like, you want some coffee? And he doesn't answer him, which at, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going, yeah, I'll take some coffee. You know, I'm thinking like, like maybe i would say whatever you know get me whatever but we're gonna have a talk but he doesn't say anything sits down the guy says yeah the guy's kind of beating around the bush and like yeah there's there's no deal we're not doing the deal and he's like and i already told hillerman and he's like what this the is where this is where i had kind of a solidifying my my idea that he set him up to mm -hmm. go there Right. was because he's been in talks with Hillerman this whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he's not afraid to talk to the main dude himself. Yeah. yeah. I thought that this is that why he was the key man was here, why he's the, the go between yeah, person. They, yeah. But for him to say that he's already talked to him, I was like, because he was expecting you not to fucking show up. You should be mm -hmm. dead. Yeah. 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 And when he's like, you spoke to the big directly, like you went to him and he's like, yeah, fucking surprise. I'm full of surprises, bitch. I may be this little innocent thing, but you know. And so so he raises his voice, which makes you almost like him, like be like, oh shit. Like you kind of come to attention, like, oh fuck, he's mad. Yeah. So there's no deal. Then he goes to the bar and the driver wasn't working for Hillerman anymore. And he's like, that piece of shit, like blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wow, what happened? Is now the cowboy his driver or what's going on? And then he goes to that hotel. He asks for the keys from his friend. Give me the key for that room. Goes to the cowboy's room. Cowboy isn't there, but there's a, a magazine. In case you didn't know, there's a magazine open, a Cadillac. So he knows that that's a guy because he talked about buying a Cadillac. Yeah. So he's like, so he's like, okay, he's gone. So he leaves and he goes to talk to Hillerman and he's fucking losing it. Like he's strung out like it's done so well with him like what do you do you know you talk to me like not right here no you're gonna fucking talk to me right now what the mm -hmm. fuck and hillerman's like calm down you're going you're overreacting like you know well he didn't do the deal and you knew about it yeah they weren't into that like we're not so there's twofold there's one of hillerman maybe double crossing him him also like he said without this i'm nobody it's the thing of him being upset because without this, I'm nobody. And this was my big deal that I wanted my big, you know, moneymaker. And now that's not working. You know, what's going on? I don't know. You got this cowboy guy. He's coming in. Is he going to da da da? But you're also there. Oh, cowboy's gone. Okay. 
Now, were you like, hey, Cowboy's gone? That was just, okay. No, I, because once he got to this point and I saw how Homer was reacting, I'm mm-hmm. sitting, and then he turned around and said, it's fine because all we have to do is go to the city council. We have ways. Right. And I'm sitting there going, okay, so now you, as Hillerman, you look like the good guy. You look like the yeah. one who gets shit done, not the key man. The key man's knocked out of the yeah. way. Yeah. So yeah. when he's sitting there going, you know, just calm down. It's fine. We, we can work this out. Yeah. You'll you still get your, your block. He's not really caring about him. He's caring about himself. Yeah. So he walks away, and I'm sitting there going, okay. And he, he has basically straight right there threatened him because he was basically saying, I will fucking kill you right here. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like he threatened him right on the spot. So yeah. for him to be able to walk away, now all he has to do is number one, go to the, the the big boss people. Yeah. And say, number one, we can go through city council, blah, blah, blah. We can we can figure this out. Number two, I got threatened by him. He's losing yeah. it. He's losing his edge. He's not yeah. an asset anymore. He needs to be got, gotten. Yeah, yeah. We don't need him. He's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so then the cowboys back which was done really cool because I'm thinking, I'm like, my grandpa used to use aftershave. Maybe I should get some aftershave. Is that aqua velva? I think that's aqua velva. It looks like an aqua velva bottle. And then I'm like, and then I'm like, what's the difference? And I'm watching the movie though, mind you, but these are the thoughts. What's the difference between aftershave and cologne? I could just use cologne. I have cologne, but aftershave makes it cooler on your face. I need to get some, oh shit, the cowboy's back. <laughs> so that was yeah. my so, well, and this is the coolest point of this is what I'm sitting here thinking. He has manipulated him when he went up the stairs before and then came through the door when he had the gun, that whole situation where they talked and he's in the doorway, that yeah. whole thing that happened. He heard what he thought was a dork and he looked down, didn't see yeah. anything. And then when he gets in there and he starts rifling with stuff, you can hear steps going up. So he knows he's coming. So he's got right. the gun on his jacket and everything like that. Yeah. And then, okay, he goes to the bathroom, asks about to go into the bathroom. See, so this time when, when he shows up, he's already went through all that stress, already went through that, like I'm hearing things or, you know, yeah, whatever, yeah. that kind of thing. So when this happens, he hears a noise and he looks out, oh, there's nothing there. And then he turns back and then, boom, Cowboy's right there. Yeah. It was yeah, like, he, I, he let his guard down. And what we forgot to say, which was a sad moment, but you don't realize it until later, was when he puts her on the train. You uh, kind of think like, he's never going to see her again. He's sending her to be safe. And he's not going to see her again. It's like, oh, shit. But it's the thing of of that, of his guards down, because he's like, Hillerman said, don't worry about it. Like, OK, I'll figure something out. And then all of a sudden, and thinking the cowboy's gone, not thinking maybe not. And then all of a sudden, like, gets a shot. And then he closes the door and they do it well, where there's blood on him from him being shot. And then the shooting through the door like three or four times. And then yeah. he just opens the door and you know the guy's like well i'm real bo hopkins like i'm real sorry and he just punches him in the face and knocks him down and starts choking him and somebody said and i agree this made me think of you and i did these tarantino movies you don't Mm -hmm. need to have somebody really choke a girl yeah like bo hopkins said it was done so well the director knew what he was doing he made those gurgling noises and the gasping for air Mm -hmm. they both were fine nobody got hurt Everything was fine. And the guy that was doing this little essay that I watched, it was an hour long, was he's like, he's like, it's the best choking I've ever seen in a movie, the yep. best choking yep. scene ever. And I'm like, yeah, it was really good. 
Yeah, and it was it was so well done that like you're sitting on it. Sometimes when you watch these type of things, you're sitting here like, okay, get it over with. Like this is fucking taking too long, or like, or it's or it's too little. Like yeah. if you haven't choked them enough, then they're just going to come back to life and kill you, yeah, kind of a yeah. thing. So it's an either or. But with this one, he did the death scream, yeah, the last moment trying to get anything out like uh, like almost like a frustration and i'm gonna die and that little scream that he did at the very end that yeah. was barely a scream yeah was just like holy shit and then his legs dropped dropped you're and almost I was like, like and because uh jason miller isn't looking up at the camera doing it so you're like are those noises coming from him and then you see bo hopkins you're like no those are coming from him and he's just intently like i'm gonna kill this motherfucker because i'm mm -hmm. fucking annoying and um, and then you're like, okay, now what? And then it cuts to that guy coming to the, the guy that sells his little wares, you know, yeah. making deals and dealing with whatever his thing was, I forget. And, um, and then he goes on by and, uh, Jason Miller's sitting at Cooper's sitting there where he always sits waiting for the, the restaurant to open the bar. And here comes a guy and he's like, yeah, your your girlfriend called me and she's looking for you. And what's going on? And then all of a sudden he's like, he looks at him and he looks at him again. And then he crouches down in front of him and he realizes, oh, shit, he's dead. And then uh, he dies from the gunshot. But then that last thing is him dropping the keys. He's always yeah. grabbed those keys wherever he goes. He put them down the one time to adjust the light, but picked them back up like and the keys drop and his foot lands on it the end like really cool you may have so, done did this i don't know if it was because i turned off the light did this clear up for you a little bit more halfway through or did you do like i said and turn the lights off in the beginning and it was kind of okay no i, I left it the same way i had it the lights on and everything like that i think i just got more invested in it or maybe that might have been it yeah it made a difference to where you're not just noticing every little crappy thing you know yeah 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 all the pixelization all over yeah um yeah it was and then that was the end uh it was very cool and uh robert mulligan and eric roth kept in contact and the director and his wife even became godparents to eric roth's son oh wow that was cool some people said that um and and they all said making this movie like he was such a good director like they said some directors will go on and on about here's what you're feeling. Here's what you're doing. He would just say, here's the key words of what you're feeling. And they would go, got it. And so Hillerman and Linda Haynes and all these people have been like, no, it's good. I really hope Linda Haynes is going to be in this 10th film by Quentin, especially if they're like doing Rolling Thunder, but changing it like the script was. That would yeah. be cool to have her as somebody else, you know, some older woman, you know, be that'd be awesome. Um, for the reviews, I haven't really read these, but I wrote them down. One's bad, one's good. Uh, Nora Sayre of the New York Times from February 10th, 2023. Maybe 22. Maybe I forget if I got the year right. It's either 22 or 23. Was not impressed. I did this while I was talking to Chip. She was not impressed with the movie from the New York Times. She said, quote, the movie appears to be a drama of real estate. Jason Miller plays a neighborhood fixer who is attempting to lease a warehouse for the storage of stolen goods. However, the deal is delayed, and he's threatened by the minor hoods who are his clients. His role is a study in worry. The angst rarely leaves his deep-set lemur's eyes. We watch him worrying in profile. 
in full and three-quarter face, standing or sitting or lying down, in daylight and darkness, on the phone, in his office, and out of doors. All in all, he seems more vulnerable to an anxiety attack than to an assailant's bullet. The nickel ride is handsomely filmed in bleak pastels, but the numerous close-ups manage to stress the slowness of the action and the quick cuts can't dispel the tedium. So that's weird because it said she didn't agree, but it seems like she did. But there yeah. at the end, she was just like too many close-ups. But I thought that that was all good. Somebody said that he looked like a Tyrone Power. I don't know if you know Tyrone Power, an old actor, but he did. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, he does. Um, and then Nick Pinkerton of The Village Voice on November 18th of 2018 or 19. Sorry again. In an article titled Films of Roger Mulligan, Robert Mulligan at Walter Reed was slightly more forgiving. The Nickel Ride is a seldom seen drama of white collar workaday criminal drudgery to make you believe the best of 70s cinema will never fully be queried out. The atmosphere is one of the musty hallways, sour stomach, and looming late middle age with no retirement plan in sight. End quote. So, and other people have put this with uh, uh, Friends of Eddie Coyle, which mm -hmm. was like a movie that uh, Robert Mitchum was in in the 70s. And that's where when they did the town, they kind of took from that to make it like gritty kind of thing. Uh -huh. uh, I really like this. And the more we talked about it now, I'm excited. But in this movie, did you see anything that you think Tarantino might have liked or used in a film? I don't know. I wasn't really searching for that, I guess, right. because of the fact that it was this type of movie, because of the angst and the him stressing out and worried about. I could see, I could see maybe the writing or maybe that character, but mm -hmm. like you and I said, like, like I've always said, sometimes you try to reach for stuff. We don't have to reach for anything. If there was nothing, yeah. there's nothing. The, the hitman character is cool, but you know who knows um our star rating system here is one to five five being the best uh what do you rate this movie chip three and a half i would have given it four if it if, for me it was just the beginning was kind of messing with me too much there wasn't enough I, it was i was confused as to what the hell was going on in the very beginning so yeah, I, me too. I was like, this is kind of, you know, I kind of got it, but I was kind of like, should I be more focused? Because I even at halfway through, I turned on, or when it was his birthday and he was at the table with her, I put on the subtitles, but the subtitles are computer generated. So it's like things that they think he might say that he might have said, but he says some other word. Mm -hmm. um, but I gave it three and a half. But after our talk, I might go four, but. And, and again, so three and a half is good. It's above average. But yeah. I'm thinking if we saw a better cut of it, we might be like, oh, shit, like, you know, a better transfer. Like, oh, this is really good. You know? Well, it, it's one of those movies, though, where going for a second look, knowing right. what it's yeah. about now, it, yeah. you're probably going to see it through different eyes. It's just the problem with the beginning and you said that they kind of did a, another shot like there it was like yeah i think filming. it started with maybe him in bed on the yeah. phone and then they said no let's explain what this is so then they had the truck drop off the produce or whatever and for me because of that it 
it kind of felt like it was almost like two different movies mashed together kind of a feel to me because i didn't understand what was going on in the beginning Mm -hmm. and then once you start understanding is like almost like half the movies you know kind of you know it was it was messing with me to where if i go back now and watch it again it'll all make sense it'll all band together easily like i said where i got lost was the the boxer jogging and the guy being like can you talk to him for me you want me to do it okay but the other part I got, I was like, oh, that's clever, like the warehouses. But like I said, I don't think it's because I read ahead. I think I just got like, oh, you run warehouses. You want more warehouses. Okay, that's cool. And that that was your warehouse that they dropped it off in the beginning. But I get what you're saying. But I wonder if it's the transfer that made you your soul off. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That it took you a while to get into it where you're like, okay, now I get it. So it wasn't actually absorbing it. It just right. felt like yeah. something different that and that's what i was worried when i saw how bad this transfer was i was like is chip going to be able to embrace this and watch it you know yeah or is it going to be you know like oh so but would you buy this movie rent it or watch it for free i'd rent it cool especially if it meant that i got to see now knowing what i know Mm -hmm. if i got to actually see it the way it was intended where it's not all crappy looking in the beginning yeah and then being invested from the very beginning it would be a much better you know experience so yeah i'm i i keep fighting it and i don't know whether i should own the like some of these that are on our list i own but i keep fighting it of like should i do like slowly like okay i'll buy rolling thunder buy that on dvd or blu-ray and then go, you know, to the next one was, I think, the Master Touch. And then the next one was that Succubus. I would maybe buy Succubus just to have for the collection of here's all the movies we did. on. But then again, like you and I have said, that's 350 movies buying on yeah. DVD. And if they're like 20 bucks, like there's some of these that I didn't put on the list that are like um, Thriller, uh a cruel picture and it's the girl with one or they call her her name is one eye is one of them it's the same same name different names for the same movie and she's Mm. she's been raped and her eyes been gouged out and so she takes revenge it's a swedish movie that does not have a very good transfer no matter what you get and so it's like you know and i remember seeing it and i was like this isn't what i thought like it's not as cool as it sounds like it's you know you're like yeah yeah um but anyway are you ready for Phil's film favorite of the week? Yeah. So I had a hard time picking this one. Kind of a mm. hard time. Chip saw it in, in real time. Um, so I'm going to pick this one. So recently I went and saw The Meg 2. But I'm not picking The Meg 2. The Meg 2 was okay. Didn't really need to be made. But it got made. And I'll probably do a third one. Um, but, I like Sharknados. But yeah. But uh, better than Sharknados. Um but they did, uh, but I rented, I've been waiting for Fast X. You know, I wanted to go to the theater, didn't get to see it. Fast X is my choice. Um, so it came out on Redbox, like right when it came out to rent on digital. And I thought, well, that's weird. Like I thought they might've been waiting. And I know it's probably going to come to Paramount or Peacock, but I'm like, or Paramount, I think. And I'm like, oh, I'll just rent it. So I rented it for, you know, $1.90 or whatever at, at, um, at Redbox. And I said, honey, do you want to watch this movie? And she said, um, okay. And I go, but you haven't seen them. Like, they're totally ridiculous. 
their the last one they went to space in a Fiero with rockets on the side of it. It's ridiculous. Just letting her know that's going to be ridiculous. And so she's like, okay. So she goes, yeah, I'll watch it. I said, okay. So I put it on and I have to explain to her, well, Ludacris is a tech guy and he like, you know, Dom runs the thing. Vin Diesel runs the whole show. I don't like the, me and my dad don't like these movies because Vin Diesel never smiles. Maybe he smiles every once in a while to his girlfriend or his child. But other than that, he's got this straight look. It's like, at least be a hero that people want. Like, be somebody, like, smile. Yeah. Oh, uh, but the plot of this, Dom Toretto and his family are targeted by the vengeful son of drug kingpin Herman Reyes. So the kingpin in number five was the guy from Desperado, the brother, Bucho. I think mm. it was it was bitch. It was Bucho. Yeah, Bucho. That's what it was. I told me he was the biggest Mexican I ever saw. I lied about that. Anyway. Um, so he was the main bad guy, but his brother is a guy named Jason. I mean, his son is a guy named Jason Momoa mm. and he fucking, he's the best character in this whole, in all 10 films isn't saying much, but he's the best character maybe in a lot of these, like they need, they need somebody like this to be in a bond film. Like the closest to that was, um, was the guy from, um, from Skyfall yeah. that, you know, uh, heavy are by them. Yeah. But he's like funny and he's saying shit like, what'd you blow up the Vatican? Oh my God. You guys are, you guys are cruel. They didn't say anything. It's all in his, he's just like, well, okay. <laughs> if you say so, you guys are going to hell. And he blows up the Vatican or blows up, you know, sets his bomb out. Yeah. So ridiculous that there's a part where Dom has a charger, this Dodge charger, the Duke's Azure car, the car I love. It's mm -hmm. in a big plane, and the guy that plays Reacher in the new Reacher is flying the plane, yeah. and he's like, well, we got we to gotta save my son and my brother. His brother is uh, John Cena. He's like, we got to save my brother and my son. And he's like, we got to bring it down. And he's like, we can't land here. There's not enough room. And he goes, who said anything about landing? And you're like, oh, shit. And then he gets in his car, in this cargo plane, has the guy drop the 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 ramp down backs his car out two of the cars that are following john cena are like shooting at him dom's car drops down with the back end of the car hitting their hoods flipping yeah. their cars up making them explode he lands on all four tires he's got regular suspension in this car but lands on all four tires he's fine he's driving mm -hmm. two helicopters show up they launch two harpoons at him the harpoons lock into his driver door and his passenger door so he's trying to steer they start pulling him up so the back end of his car is going up and he like floors it and now all four tires are back on the ground and he's pulling and i think he hits nitrous or something and then oh, that tires were using the air to you, get no back no like, uh, somehow yeah somehow because <laughs> i i was talking to my dad and i'm like dad i don't know cars i don't know and my dad goes no, in the old days, cars didn't have front wheel drive until later. He goes, this was rear wheel drive. I go, so he's just, they could have just taken him away. Like there's yeah. nothing going on. He's like, yeah. So, Sad. but by the time he lands, he pulls the two helicopters with him and then they slam into each other. And then he starts spinning around and the helicopter flies into Jason Momoa. And Jason Momoa is later is like, did you hit me with a helicopter? And you're like, ha ha. So then he's driving and John Cena has his son, but yeah. he needs to get his son. And 
how did i'm trying to think of, oh no sorry okay this is just real quick this is how ridiculous it is but it's hella fun just don't run it for um, everybody though they might want to watch this movie exactly i'm not gonna run it but this part <laughs> was great so jason momoa has his son in the passenger seat and he gets on the and they're talking on the radio back and forth Vin Diesel. And Vin Diesel gets on the radio and goes, son, remember what I tell you about? Remember what I said about read the car, feel the car, know when it's making its move. Then he does something. He hits Jason Momoa with that helicopter. The car starts spinning. Vin Diesel starts spinning his car the other way. So when they're both spinning close to each other, his son opens a passenger door, jumps out. Vin Diesel reaches over, opens his passenger door, opens it. The sun flies from Jason Momoa's car and while they're spinning around into Vin Diesel's car, you close it oh, right on dad and they go and it's hilarious. And, um, and then John Cena and it's a whole thing with a car that shoots like these big cannons. So here's my thing. So the guys on film buds on Twitter, chips are rubbing his head. We're mm-hmm. like, we're like, let us know how it was. And I was like, well, here's the thing. And here's the other thing. Now, you think of what I just rated this movie that we just watched, 3.5. I rate this 3.5. Now, here's the thing. Maybe three, but it had a lot of actors in it. Had some good stunts in it. But here's the thing. Some ridiculous stuff. It's just fun. So I'm watching it with the wife, and I'm going on it. Now, I've told you how my wife does not like, like a movie that just ends with a cliffhanger or mm-hmm. ends with you have to figure out what you think it means. And so this movie, they go, Charlize Theron and what's her name are walking in the snow and they come over this mountain and there comes a submarine, comes through the ice and the thing opens and out pops Gal Gadot. And I'm like, she fucking died in the sixth movie. Like what's (laughs) going on? So I'm sure it'll be her twin or that she never really died that you thought she you know, fell off the hood or roof or whatever. So it was, so then the movie just ends and my wife's like, that was it. And I go, I didn't know. It was, I thought this was a 10th final film. Like, I guess this is a two-parter. So she looks it up. They say it was a three-parter. I'm hoping it's only two while I'm taking the DVD out. Uh, she looks it up and she goes, we have to wait till April of 2025 and I go, oh, my God, I thought at least it would come out next year. She's like, no. So I'm like, oh, shit. But like I told the guys on Twitter, I was like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I had fun with it. But mm-hmm. for some reason, I'm a glutton for punishment where I watched the first one. And I remember going, oh, that was horrible. And then there was nothing coming out at the time. And number two came out. And I go, I'll watch number two. Watch number two. I go, oh, there's no Vin Diesel. It's weird. Oh, they got a Mustang. OK, I like that. And then number three came out, Vin Diesel's back, all these, you know, or whatever, the other people are back. And then I just kept watching because I'm like, okay, but I'd rent them from Redbox and watch them for cheap. And that's why I wanted to go to the movie and see it. But anyway, very uh, crazy, horrible, not for Chip. So I'm sorry, Chip. Uh, Come back next week on August 18th for... Kiss Me Deadly, 1955. I think this is on Internet Archives. 
Ooh. I'm excited. Uh oh. A doomed female hitchhiker pulls Mike Hammer (gasps) into a deadly whirlpool of intrigue revolving around a mysterious great what's it? It says in, in quotes, great what's it? That's all it says. Interesting. Um, and this has, uh, I'll tell you where to get it because it's not available anywhere, but it's available on the archives because that's where I found it. Um, it's got Ralph Meeker, who that was one that Quentin Tarantino told Bruce Willis, like, you're a Ralph Meeker character. Here, watch these Ralph Meeker movies. Mm-hmm. That's who you're going to be. But here's a trailer, and then I'll tell you where to find it. Girls fleeing in terror from things beyond description. Who are you? My name is Mike Hammer, if it matters. What do you want? He was out to get men who tortured women and killed with the ferocity of wild beasts. This was their jungle. Cut the knife! Kiss Me Deadly stars Ralph Meeker, winner of the New York Critics Award. Through his great talent, the vivid character of Mike Hammer comes to life as never before. They came last night, right after you left. I heard them. I hid in the basement. Only a woman could help him solve the murderous riddle of Kiss Me Deadly. She's dead. But I'm not dead. Hey, remember me? This woman's lips, cold as steel, lethal as a gun, gave him the terrifying clue he sought. On this woman's lips, warm with longing, lay the shocking secret of Kiss Me Deadly. So yeah, it's on. Uh, if anybody's uh, aware of Internet Archives, so you look up Internet Archives and then you get there. It's internetarchives.org, and that has a search bar. And then you type in "Kiss Me Deadly" 1955 or whatever, and then it'll pop up with a. Um, it'll come up with movies. So they got the movie here. They got the movie a couple places. So. But it's on. But you got to go to this website to watch it. So, mm, okay. But uh, you can watch it on your computer right there, Chip. So that's all right. All right, everybody. I'll uh, have all that information on Twitter and Instagram. So, uh, thank you, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our show. I don't know how long we talked. I didn't mean it to be so long, but it was a good conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us. We hope you had fun and maybe learned something about a movie that may have had a part in making Tarantino. Goodbye. Bye.